0: Nicholas Nickleby, section 0, author's preface. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby, containing a faithful account of the fortunes, misfortunes, uprisings, downfallings, and complete career of the Nickleby family, by Charles Dickens. AUTHOR'S PREFACE This story was begun within a few months after the publication of the completed Pickwick Papers. There were, then, a good many cheap Yorkshire schools in existence. There are very few now. Of the monstrous neglect of education in England, and the disregard of it by the State as a means of forming good or bad citizens, and miserable or happy men, private schools long afforded a notable example although any man who had proved his unfitness for any other occupation in life was free without examination or qualification to open a school anywhere although preparation for the functions he undertook was required in the surgeon who assisted to bring the boy into the world or might one day assist perhaps to send him out of it in the chemist the attorney the butcher the baker the candlestick-maker the whole round of crafts and trades the schoolmaster accepted and although schoolmasters as a race were the blockheads and impostors who might naturally be expected to spring from such a state of things and to flourish in it these yorkshire schoolmasters were the lowest and most rotten round in the whole ladder traders in the avarice indifference or imbecility of parents and the helplessness of children ignorant sordid brutal men to whom few considerate persons would have entrusted the board and lodging of a horse or a dog they formed the worthy cornerstone of a structure which for absurdity and a magnificent high-minded laissez-aller neglect has rarely been exceeded in the world we hear sometimes of an action for damages against the unqualified medical practitioner, who has deformed a broken limb in pretending to heal it. But what of the hundreds of thousands of minds that have been deformed for ever by the incapable pettifoggers who have pretended to form them? I make mention of the race as of the Yorkshire schoolmasters in the past tense. Though it has not yet finally disappeared, it is dwindling daily." A long day's work remains to be done about us in the way of education, heaven knows. But great improvements and facilities towards the attainment of a good one have been furnished of late years. I cannot call to mind now how I came to hear about Yorkshire schools when I was not a very robust child, sitting in by-places near Rochester Castle, with a head full of partridge, strap, tom-pipes, and Sancho Panza but i know that my first impressions of them were picked up at that time and that they were somehow or other connected with the superated abscess that some boy had come home with in consequence of his yorkshire guide philosopher and friend having ripped it open with an inky penknife the impression made upon me however made never left me i was always curious about yorkshire schools fell long afterwards and at sundry times into the way of hearing more about them at last having an audience resolved to write about them with that intent i went down into yorkshire before i began this book in very severe winter-time which is pretty faithfully described herein as i wanted to see a schoolmaster or two and was forewarned that those gentlemen might in their modesty be shy of receiving a visit from the author of the pickwick papers i consulted with a professional friend who had a yorkshire connexion and with whom i concerted a pious friend he gave me some letters of introduction in the name i think of my travelling companion they bore reference to a supposititious little boy who had been left with a widowed mother who didn't know what to do with him the poor lady had thought as a means of thawing the tardy compassion of her relations in his behalf of sending him to a yorkshire school i was the poor lady's friend travelling that way and if the recipient of the letter could inform me of a school in his neighbourhood the writer would be very much obliged I went to several places in that part of the country where I understood the schools to be most plentifully sprinkled, and had no occasion to deliver a letter until I came to a certain town which shall be nameless. The person to whom it was addressed was not at home, but he came down at night, through the snow, to the inn where I was staying. It was after dinner, and he needed a little persuasion to sit down by the fire in a warm corner and take his share of the wine that was on the table. I am afraid he is dead now. I recollect he was a jovial, ruddy, broad-faced man, that we got acquainted directly, and that we talked on all kinds of subjects, except the school which he showed a great anxiety to avoid. Was there any large school near? I asked him, in reference to the letter. Oh, yes, he said. There was a pretty big un. Was it a good one? he asked. Aye, he said. It was as good as another. That was a matter of opinion, and fell to looking at the fire staring round the room and whistling a little. On my reverting to some other topic that we had been discussing, he recovered immediately. But though I tried him again and again, I never approached the question of the school, even if he were in the middle of a laugh without observing that his countenance fell and that he became uncomfortable. At last, when we had passed a couple of hours or so, very agreeably, he suddenly took up his hat and leaning over the table and looking at me full in the face said in a low voice, "'Well, mister, we've been very pleasant together, and ar will speck my mind to thee. Do not let the weeder send her letter-boy to one of our school misters while there's a harsh to hold in a London, or a guthier to lie asleep in. I wouldn't make ill words against my neighbours, and her speak to be quite like. But I'm damned if ar can gang to bed and not tell telly, for weeder's sake, to keep the little boy from a sake scoundrels while there is a harsh to hold in a London, or a ear to lie asleep in. Repeating these words with great harshness, and with a solemnity on his jolly face that made it look twice as large as before, he shook hands and went away. I never saw him afterwards, but I sometimes imagine that I descry a faint reflection of him in John Browdie. In reference to these gentry, I may here quote a few words from the original preface of this book it has afforded the author great amusement and satisfaction during the progress of this work to learn from country friends and from a variety of ludicrous statements concerning himself in provincial newspapers that more than one yorkshire schoolmaster lays claim to being the original of mr squeers one worthy he has reason to believe has actually consulted authorities learned in the law as to his having good grounds on which to rest an action for libel another has meditated a journey to london for the express purpose of committing an assault and battery on his traducer a third perfectly remembers being waited on last january 12th month by two gentlemen one of whom held him in conversation while the other took his likeness and although mr squeers has but one eye and he has two and the published sketch does not resemble him whoever he may be in any other respect still he and all his friends and neighbours know at once for whom it was meant because the character is so like him while the author cannot but feel the full force of the compliment thus conveyed to him he ventures to suggest that these contentions may arise from the fact that mr squeers is the representative of a class and not of an individual where imposture ignorance and brutal cupidity are the stock in trade of a small body of men and one is described by these characteristics all his fellows will recognise something belonging to themselves and each will have a misgiving that the portrait is his own the author's object in calling public attention to the system would be very imperfectly fulfilled if he did not state now in his own person, emphatically and earnestly, that Mr. Squeers and his school are faint and feeble pictures of an existing reality purposely subdued and kept down lest they should be deemed impossible that there are upon record trials at law in which damages have been sought as a poor recompense for lasting agonies and disfigurements inflicted upon children by the treatment of the master in these places involving such offensive and foul details of neglect cruelty and disease as no writer of fiction would have the boldness to imagine and that since he has been engaged upon these adventures he has received from private quarters far beyond the reach of suspicion or distrust accounts of atrocities in the perpetration of which upon neglected or repudiated children these schools have been the main instruments very far exceeding any that appear in these pages this comprises all i need to say on the subject except that if i had seen occasion I had resolved to reprint a few of these details of legal proceedings from certain old newspapers. One other quotation from the same preface may serve to introduce a fact that my readers may think curious. To turn to a more pleasant subject, it may be right to say that there are two characters in this book which are drawn from life it is remarkable that what we call the world which is so very credulous in what professes to be true is most incredulous in what professes to be imaginary and that while every day in real life it, it will allow in one man no blemishes and in another no virtues it will seldom admit a very strongly marked character either good or bad in a fictitious narrative to be within the limits of probability but those who take an interest in this tale will be glad to learn that the brothers cheery-a-bill live, that their liberal charity, their singleness of heart, their noble nature, and their unbounded benevolence are no creations of the author's brain, but are prompting every day, and oftenest by stealth, some munificent and generous deed in that town of which they are the pride and honour. If I were to attempt to sum up the thousands of letters from all sorts of people in all sorts of latitudes and climates which this unlucky paragraph brought down upon me, I should get into an arithmetical difficulty from which I could not easily extricate myself. Suffice it to say, that I believe the applications for loans, gifts, and offices of profit that I have been requested to forward to the originals of the Brothers Cheeryble with whom I never interchanged any communication in my life, would have exhausted the combined patronage of all the Lord Chancellors since the accession of the House of Brunswick, and would have broken the rest of the Bank of England. The brothers are now dead. There is only one other point, on which I would desire to offer a remark. If Nicholas be not always found to be blameless or agreeable, he is not always intended to appear so. He is a young man, of an impetuous temper, and of little or no experience and I saw no reason why such a hero should be lifted out of nature. End of Author's Preface